He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. I'm here with the rest of the Munson's. I want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> Talk a little bit about what's going on in the world. Craig, you're up first this week, man. Well, we're in the, uh, we're in the dead middle of summer down here in Texas, which means I have to mow my lawn twice a week, and you can't do any outside manual labor after 10.30 a.m. The old Texas life where you're not supposed to go outside Ooh. between 11 and 4 p.m. Otherwise, you'll die. I feel like a vampire. <laughs> now I can relate so much better to vampire movies characters because that's what I feel like. I'm like, man, the sun's coming out. We have got to hide. Well, we will talk about Twilight at some point in this episode, so prepare yourself. <laughs> I can't wait. Speaking of Texas boys, Warren. Yeah, to kind of go on Craig and his uh, yard work, I find myself spending a lot of time out in the yard still, except this time I'm not feeling great about it because it looks like I did a fucking header into a poison ivy bush. <laughs> my arms and my legs look like the worser half of Two-Face, and so I, I feel like shit at all times. <laughs> so not I can't, I can't go outside you know, and go in public which is good, so I can hide all, hide all my terrible scarring. And uh, I already had to convince somebody that it's not herpes because it's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it was your wife you had to convince. Uh, <laughs> it was actually my dad. All, all this just to get out of parenting, dude. You don't have to go to this extreme. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go rustle around in some bushes yeah. so that way I, have to, I don't have to do Sorry, dad things today. Yeah. Can't change the baby. My hands are melting off. Yeah, James, you'll find out. You're married now. <laughs> Rick B, how about you, brother? Oh, that, man. That, that Las Vegas lifestyle. Lots happened in the last two weeks. I uh, recovered from COVID-19. I was fortunate enough to have very – thank you, thank you, thank you. Fortunate enough to have very minor symptoms, um, nothing nothing worse than just aches and, and being tired. Um, but, yeah, I've spent the last two weeks recovering from that and moving out to – fabulous las vegas nevada where it is also hot um we're averaging about 100 over 105 each day since i've been here so i'm getting used to putting that little visor thing on my windshield whenever i leave the car that's the first time i've ever done that um anywhere i've lived you get to be a raiders fan now (laughs) that's right that's right (laughs) i actually just drove by the stadium and it's pretty cool they call it the Death Star. It's too bad there probably won't be any fans in it this season, though. Is it the Death Star because it's Allegiant Airlines? You <laughs> <laughs> could call it that in addition to the Star Wars reference, but yes. James, good to be here. Sports are back. That's really positive for my life. First time I've yes, had sir. an endorphin release in a while watching some sports. So that, <laughs> that felt good. Also glad to hear that Rigby's doing well. Thank you. It brings us joy to know Rigby's not uh, croaking away on us. Absolutely, man. Yeah. I had some uh, lovely craft beers and pizza before this, so I'm, I'm recovering slowly but surely. I'm happy to introduce our next guest, Munson, another uh, guest who's vying for one of our uh, beautiful Munson's t-shirts. Um, allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. 
That individual is John Bell. John's earliest movie memory is Beauty and the Beast at the age of four. From there, he spent much of his childhood entertaining family and friends by impersonating quotable lines from the likes of Jim Carrey, Adam Sandler, Celine Dion, Chris Farley, and of course, Mrs. Doubtfire. Wow, that's a very eclectic group there. Yeah, man. <laughs> I think it's I like intentional. It. I think that's why it went with that. <laughs> That's what my family said. <laughs> exactly. From junior high through college, John performed on the stage in various theater roles, so he's already jumping up the uh, the Munson meter on our level. He's got the Absolutely. theater background. Just target um, or terrible. That w- That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> that would get you some extra points from us, John. When John was 16, he snuck into the mall movie theater with his friends to watch Cold Mountain rated R. Ooh. Uh, scandalous. Wow. Where he successfully predicted Renee Zellweger's Oscar-winning supporting actress win. Spoiler. Damn. Exactly. <laughs> 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 if no one knew, uh, 16 years later, John has achieved over 470 Thousand lifetime Regal Crown Club credits. Get that out five times Wow, that is insane. Good lord, I got a lot, but John, you're just killing it, man. And on two occasions, he has successfully watched four different movies at the same theater in one day. So if you thought any of us wow. were movie addicts, I've only done it once. I watched Scream Four, The Lincoln Lawyer, Paul, and just go with it in the same day. <laughs> I don't even remember what the four movies were. I just remember leaving in the evening like a zombie. So that's <laughs> feeling. I was about to say I, I did four at a Sundance, and I felt like my life was wasted. So. I- <laughs> I feel you, man. I did it during like monsoon season in Australia and like a movie in general is like 35 bucks. So I was like, fuck this. I'm going to see four of them. (laughs) (laughs) And John also might have been one of the reasons MoviePass went bankrupt. And John, I am right there with you. I think when MoviePass ended, I was averaging like seven or eight movies a month for that $10. You and I are uh, the major culprit. So welcome, John. Thank you. Yeah, MoviePass was a good experiment. I think whoever the people are out there who financed that disaster of a business model, but it worked for us for a little bit. <laughs> I got in on MoviePass at $5.99 a month. Same. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, you got, the, you got the annual subscription like I did? Smart. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. just destroyed it. It was insane. John, what's... um? So you can't remember those four movies you saw, you saw in the theater in the same day? I guess if I go back and look at my Regal Club points, I guess I could <laughs> I was about to say. Oh, wait, wait. You you paid for all four. I only paid for one, and I walked in with four. <laughs> that, was my, that was my difference. Warren is a man of principle and integrity. Clearly, he would never, never do such a thing. Well, John, we appreciate you being here, brother. Hope you uh, enjoy yourself as we uh, dig into a little Rami Malik. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Good to have you, man. It's going to be great. Let's get into some birthdays for July 30th. Warren, what do we got? We're going to start out with, uh, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. How old is Arnold? He, from the famous Terminator franchise, Predator, basically any badass 80s, 90s action movie, and Batman and Robin. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't ring a bell, but I'll take a guess based on the movies you named. Uh, 65. Oh, he's got to be older than that, right? Yep. 70, 72 for me. I'm going to go 74, Warren. 75. I know oh, tight, tight window, Rigby. Suck it. Did anybody say 66? No. <sighs> well, you say 66, but he is 73. Oh, 73 every day. I win. Yes. He had 72, 74, 75, so 72 wins. Uh, next up, we got Lisa Kudrow from Ooh. Friends. Analyze this. Rummy and Michelle's High School Reunion and Dr. Doolittle 2. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa is 
50, no, 49. 52. I was going to say 55. Well, someone said 52, so I'll say 54. They're always a little older than you think, the TV characters. I know. Warren, how about 50 on the dot? She's 57. She's going to blow at all you guys. So, yeah, looking good, Lisa. Yep. Uh, Love it. Last, last but not least, we got Lawrence Fishburne from The Matrix, Boys in the Hood, and Matrix Revolutions. <laughs> what about Biker Boys? Yeah, uh, <laughs> that was too big a low hanging fruit. He also had a really funny cameo in Predators. Give me sixty one. Sixty five. Fifty nine. Fifty six. I'll go fifty eight. 59, James on Let's the go. dot. Oh, I know my, my Larry Fishburne. Exactly. <laughs> it's a good thing to know. Not only were it those three people's birthdays, but we also have Terry Crews, Tom, Tom Green, Jean Reno, Martin Starr, Gina Rodriguez, Vivica A. Fox, Hilary Swank, Yvonne Strahovski, Jamie Presley, and Christine Taylor. Lots of parents getting nasty on Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Masks, masks on, condoms off. That's what's happening. <laughs> July 30th. Wow. It's going to be hard to beat that as the most popular birthday in, in Munson's uh, lore. That's like 40 weeks on the dot to Halloween. <laughs> so we had five actors that we threw on the wheel this time. Those five actors were Kate Beckinsale, James Remar, Kira Knightley, Oscar Isaac, a.k.a. James D'Ampira, and... Right. Rami Malik, and as you know by now, Rami Malik is what we landed on with the wheel. Because as we know, the wheel hath spoken. The wheel decides. The wheel, the wheel hath spoken. The wheel, the wheel says. Yes, I like that when we whisper that. So we're gonna get into some Rami Malik discussion. Talk a little bit about his career, kind of where he's come from, where he's going. But before we do all of that, James is gonna take us down the path of a little bit of actor trivia. So John, give you a heads up on how the game goes. I'm gonna read three facts. Two of them are true. One of them is a fact about one of the stars from the Fast and the Furious franchise. So use that knowledge to kind of deduct and figure out what you think is the uh, fact that isn't about Rami Malek. Okay. So fact number one, he has a fraternal twin brother who works as a movie producer. Fact number two, he was in the same high school and graduating class as Kirsten Dunst and Rachel Bielsen. Fact number three, he once dated Christian Slater's sister. Oh. Damn, dude. He was <laughs> on you're, show. You're, you're getting good, buddy. Yeah. It's taken a lot of research to find some of these things. I'm going to say the first one. I know he has a fraternal brother, like a twin brother, but I don't think he's a movie producer. I'm going to go two is the lie because I think that's Paul Walker. <laughs> Shit. I like guessing the lie and also guessing the actor. That, that's I know. Nice. That's a nice. I'm going to go. That one is a lie, but I'm really interested in who has a twin brother who's a producer. Because uh, Rami Malik's brother, I don't think, is a producer. I think he does something a little bit different. Doesn't Vin Diesel have a twin? And maybe he is in, in it's movies. It's very possible. It's Vin, Vin and Vin Diesel. <laughs> <laughs> Number two is definitely true. Uh, if, you, if you know about Kirby and where they came from in California, I think there were a lot of actors and actresses that went to school together around that time. Number three, I'm not actually sure about who he dated, but I believe one is also the lie that he does have a twin brother, but he's not a movie producer. Well, guys, all the guesses in, the one that no one chose uh, was number three, and I can confirm that that is a fact, that he actually did date Christian Slater's sister, Emily. Uh, they went to high school together. 
Um, okay. That high school that they went to was also the same high school that Kirsten Dunst and Rachel Bielsen went to, which means fact number two, also true. They're in the same graduating class. Fact number one, uh, Rami actually has an identical twin brother named Sammy, who is a teacher in California. Fact number one was actually a Vin Diesel fact. He has a fraternal <laughs> twin brother who's a movie producer. What's his name? I got it. Paul. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Paul Diesel. Uh, Diesel's <laughs> definitely not their real last name. <laughs> yeah. We talked about him a while ago. We, yeah. we talked about it when we had the, when we had John on, uh, Rigby's brother. Craig, when you referenced that, I was like, wow, Craig nailed it. That's actually true. I really wish his name was Richard. Richard Diesel. Just <laughs> Dick, Dick Diesel. Diesel. <laughs> <laughs> James, that's a beautiful fact. It's a good misdirection because... He does have a twin brother, and I mean, how you can't paint that any better than that. That was good. One of the uh, cool things I read about him and his brother is they did what everyone fears twins would do. And Rigby, maybe you can add into this, but they did pretend to be one another in different life scenarios. Uh, one of them was Rami actually pretended to be his brother to help his brother pass and get his teaching degree from UCLA. Wow. That's a hilarious story. He did a Greek monologue for his brother. And he's like, dude, I don't know anything about like, you know, Greek monologues or acting. He's like, well, I actually prepared one like a week ago for an audition and he did it uh, and pretended to be him and passed. He had just finished up theater school at University of Evansville in Indiana and uh, was like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for that. I've been doing this for years. Let's <laughs> That's go. Hilarious. They asked Rami, they're like, so do you guys think you look alike? Because everyone says you're identical. He's like, we used to be identical. We're not anymore. And if you look at pictures of them, they are identical. It's just, he just His brother has a bunch of facial works, hair. Yeah, one of them works out every day and focuses on how he looks to help with his career. And the other one works a nine-to-five job. So physically, they look a little <laughs> different. All right. Case, tell us a little bit about his uh, snapshot in box office history. Well, this was a uh, this was a fun one for me to look into. When you guys say that we were watching Rami Malek this week, I had no idea who you were talking about. So it's fun to check some of this out. Pretty well-rounded box office. You know, he's got some bombs and uh, bomberoos. And he's also, you know, he's been in some wildly successful uh, movies. In fact, the interesting thing about his breakdown is that or most of the of the box office success is coming internationally, which is wild because he's from California. And any of the other actors and actresses that we've watched or that we've that we've focused on, the international ones are the ones that do well internationally. The Candor, O'Dowd. It was pretty interesting to look at because he's He's kind of done it all, and uh, it's it was fun to look into. I mean, it makes sense because he comes from an Egyptian background. Both his parents are mm-hmm. Egyptian, so he's got that international presence from that standpoint. Because there's not – how many other Egyptian actors can you name in today? The guy from The Mummy? Is that all you got? Uh, I don't even <laughs> think he's Egyptian. <laughs> he's probably not. So Talk about Brendan Fraser? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Appreciate your case. Yeah, man. That frames it up pretty nicely as we start to get into Rami Malek's career. And, and when you start to look at his early days in Hollywood, it's not terribly different than a lot of actors, if you could compare it to. I mean, he struggled a lot to get gigs, and his early gigs were on TV shows in small parts. For example, his, his acting debut was on an episode of Gilmore Girls in 2004. He was on two episodes of the show Over There in 2005. We're talking he's been acting professionally, for 16 years, um, from 2004 to 2020. He was in an episode of Medium in 2005, and I would contend that 
his role in the show The War at Home between 05 and 07 was probably his first big acting role. And I know a few of you guys have seen this show. Uh, it definitely was his first big role. He was in 21 of 44 episodes. Rami plays a guy. Kenny uh, is one of the characters on the show. He's the best friend of the oldest son, Larry. And you find out in the first episode, which I actually watched on YouTube earlier today, just as like a refresher, you find out Kenny is gay. But none of the other characters find out until like the second season. And the main character is Michael Rappaport. He thinks both of his sons are gay because apparently that was like a funny thing to joke about in the like 2002 to like 2005. <laughs> the jokes that he makes are like deep cuts to Kenny. Stuff gets a little more serious in the second season when he comes out to his parents and they kick him out of the house in season two. And he moves in with the family instead of being handled by Child Protective Services. And the show received critical acclaim, got a couple of award nominees. Uh, for Kenny's coming out story arc. That's some heavy shit to handle as like your first main role. I, I think it's a very dynamic role that really shows Rami's acting ability. Except it's different from a recent TV show, so it's a different uh, framework for him and a different type of format of acting uh, on a stage rather than in, uh, in a movie set format. But I think it shows the dynamicness of portraying Someone that has the funny and the comedic lines, but also the seriousness that goes with it. But mm -hmm. I think Rami showed that his character was a, a visible portrayal for many people watching who experienced that and could really uh, see themselves in him as well. And that takes us to 2006, which was his first feature film. And the infamous Night at the Museum, the first of three films in that franchise. And I. Um, am covering that this week. I've got the first feature film category. I will start with this. It's got a, in terms of its scores on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes, important to frame it up. On IMDb, it's got a 6.4 audience and a 5 uh, from the critic side, and then Rotten Tomatoes, 67, and then a 43 from the uh, the critics. So audience tend to like this movie a little bit more than the critics. Not great critical acclaim on this front. The movie stars Ben Stiller. He's a security guard at the American Museum of Natural History. This movie's really interesting to me because in college, I interned at the American Museum of Natural History for a summer uh, between my junior and senior of college. So it wasn't just watching a movie. It's comparing it to what the actual museum looks like and if it's an accurate representation. My frustration with the movie starts with the fact that it wasn't actually filmed the museum it was filmed in a uh, a stage in vancouver canada tax breaks bro <laughs> exactly it was supposed to be filmed i think in quebec originally and ben stiller's like, now nah, we'll do it in vancouver so they did it in vancouver uh, so i could tell you that the setup is similar in some ways but the museum is very different than what they filmed the cool part is the first time i ever went to the theater uh, or to the museum was the winter of 2006 which is right after the film came out. I went there two months after the release of the movie, and I was reading some data, and they said that the uh, the attendance of the museum went up by like 40% or something like that in the holidays. So I was part of that, that statistic, that data point. Um, but I went uh, with my evolution class in college. Liberal <laughs> arts, that's what's up. Some interesting parts of this. I mean, the hijinks of uh, Ben Stiller's character being a security guard, and the idea is... 
There's an Egyptian tablet from Akhmen-Ra that has magic powers and essentially causes all of the animals and people in the museum to come alive at night. Ben Stiller's just trying to like manage the museum at that point in time. There's some, some interesting bits in there. There's a throwback reference to Gulliver's Travels, which we covered. Um, on the Chris O'Dowd episode, it's a very similar mm-hmm. plot point where he gets tied down as the giant. The best part of this movie, in my mind, is the dynamic between Owen Wilson and Steve Coogan's characters. Yeah. As Jebediah and Octavius, it's just it's good fun between those two. The ultimate lesson of the movie is that all is forgiven if the antics make money. That's what I took away from it. You can uh, destroy the museum, but if it more people to show up, then uh, you're good. You can keep your job. I don't think that's the message the movie was trying to portray, but that's what I took away from it. That's the nonprofit um, life, baby. <laughs> <laughs> After that, I will say this. Rami Malek is not in the movie much. He plays Achman Ra, uh, who is in his coffin for most of the movie until the end. And even when he is awakened, yeah, he's of Egyptian descent, so he sells it from that standpoint, but he doesn't have a ton of lines. It's accurate from the sense of, from an archaeological perspective, uh, the pharaohs were very young so he is very young in this role and so he fits it from that standpoint but he's not asked to do a ton it's it's a pretty minimal role uh, you think he's like this really angry mummy and it turns out just happy to be out of his coffin after being in there for 54 years every night my understanding is that his the depth of his character gets a little bit better as you go into Night at the Museum 2 and 3. I just thought it was a fun movie. Anyone who's gone to the Natural History Museum, like you said, Kyle, when you go there, there is inevitably a line to take a picture with Easter Island head. <laughs> gum gum. Yeah, everyone has to say dum dum when they take the damn picture with the Easter Island head. <laughs> <laughs> Think of the, the roster of actors in this. I mean, it was insane. Yeah. Dick Van Dyke, Bill Cobbs, Carla Cagino, Paul Rudd, Ricky Gervais, Mickey Rooney, Robin Williams, Owen Wilson, Steve Coogan, Brad Garrett, Brad Garrett, and then uh, a really brief appearance by Charlie Murphy as a taxi driver at the end of the movie, which is probably coming off his uh, success from Chappelle show, which I thought was really fun. That's hilarious. To make you guys get off me a little bit about not watching certain movies, uh, my cousin Shay is actually in this movie, Night at the Museum, and I still haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> it's consistent. That's what yeah. I hear. Family family be damned, right? Yep. Con- consistent, this is who I am. Just accept me. Alright, so what is Shay? She's like, plays a tourist in one of like the mm-hmm. scenes. She's, but an, again, she's an extra. Yeah. yeah, she's an extra. And again, I haven't seen it. Rami was almost recast in that movie. Really? At the beginning of the movie, the uh, producers weren't thrilled with the direction he was taking it in. <laughs> he wasn't. The first set of shots was the outside of the museum, right? And so they mm-hmm. shot him in that. And then he didn't get called for the next round of shooting. And then his agent called and said, hey, do you know why they put a casting call out for this role? And uh, he realized that he had to re- retract a little bit and get back on the same page as everybody else. And so he said that was a pretty humbling experience. That blows me away because it's not like there was any flexibility in the type of character they wanted to play. Yeah, no like, shit. It was like he, he moved. <laughs> it's pretty he moved obvious. To the, yeah, while he was wrapped up like a mummy, he moved to the left first. We wanted him to wiggle to the right. <laughs> <laughs> like he comes out, blows dust out of his mouth like, oh, I've been in there for like, trust me, that's good acting, but it's not like you can do that different. Hey, hey, uh, set director, can I do that differently? Like, it's, no. Uh, do, do less. No, do more. 
he took the role and he, and he tried to play it as a real dandy gentleman and they did not want that. And so I think he was uh, doing more than they wanted and they wanted him to pull it back a little bit. This is what I'll say. Even though he wasn't asked to do much, it was a big blockbuster movie that put him on the map. And I think that's the value of Night at the Museum. It turned into a larger franchise and he became a, a, a household face, at least at that standpoint. Even though people might not know him, they would recognize him because so many people had seen Night at the Museum, especially kids. So between 2007 and 2012, before we hit largest critic gap, he's in some smaller projects. So in 07, he's in a theater production in L.A. We're used to talking about actors who are in some theater productions in New York, but a little bit different. Mm -hmm. He was in L.A. He's from L.A. It was the Credo canvas. He played a character named Jamie. Then he was in the follow-up to Night at the Museum Battle of the Smithsonian. Again, is his character, Achman Ra, in 2009. And then in 2010... He was in the show 24 in three episodes. He essentially played a terrorist who has kind of a redemption story arc. And the, the part I would note about this from the research I did is that after he filled that role, he told his agent and kind of made a, a mental decision that although he played, and I'll put it in air quotes, an acceptable terrorist, um, he didn't want to take on those stereotypical Middle Eastern roles that he could be typecast in. So I think this was a, a large pivot for him in his career because he could have kept just playing these kind of roles in TV shows and movies and decided, I don't want to be stuck into that mold going forward. Even though 24 is an extremely successful show, and I think he did a pretty good job in his role. But also in 2010, he was in a show called Pacific. He was in six episodes. And, and from what I know, it's an Emmy Award winning show. I think a lot more people remember Band of Brothers, which mm -hmm. was the European uh -huh. theater... And this is the, it's the exact same thing, but the Pacific theater. And so like the Island hopping campaign, Okinawa and all that stuff over in the Pacific, it's a lot more gruesome, just like conditions and everything are a lot more fucked up. He plays a, a real life person, uh, Merrill Shelton, his nickname was Snafu. He comes in in the middle, then he becomes like one of the main characters. He's a person who is already like really fucked up from the war. And so he's like... He's kind of like everything that the evilness of war and battle like that's incarnate, and it's just like his mind's all messed up. He's he's really damn good. Like I think if you were to ask a lot of people who who remember the show, they'll be like, "Oh, Snafu, yeah, I remember mm. that guy." I was pretty blown away at just like how his character was, and it. Um, they even show like at the end in the credits, they show like pictures of the real life people. And yep. uh, Snafu's character was from Louisiana. And so, like, he went to the war and all that stuff and didn't talk to any of the other Marines for, like, 35 to 40 years. Wow. And then, he like, he, then he, like, came back because he just didn't want to think about, like, all the nasty, like, stuff that they did as, like, a mortar squad. So after I watched that, I thought he would get more roles as, like, a leading man and stuff, but he really didn't. I heard him say in an interview that that was the most tragic character he's played because of the uh, <clears throat> the stuff that they did on the set to film and, and to create some realism. And yeah. he was constantly haunted by the fact that this is a real story and he was playing a real person. I remember reading that, too. Like he it took him a while to recover from that, yep. where it was mm -hmm. they just threw him in like rain and mm -hmm. just like all this stuff. He, he was saying that at uh, one of the scenes where they were having to get out of the boat and it was still moving, that if they didn't get out of the boat, they had stuntmen in the boat to throw them off because they couldn't stop the boat. The rest of that time frame, uh, he's in Larry Crown as a character named Steve DeBossi from 
in 2011, Battleship in 2012, that Boom. Liam Neeson classic with uh, Rihanna that you know put her on the map and put her in so many movies after. Yeah, that happened. Um, and then he was in uh, a show called The Legend of Korra, a voice actor role. He was in three episodes. And based on some of the research I was seeing, it seemed to be a, a pretty big fan favorite of those who enjoy that genre. Um, all of that takes us to 2012, to his largest critic gap in uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master and Warren. I was going to talk about that one. This one might be the, the first of two contentious Rami movies we're going to talk about. Yeah, I would highly agree with that. <laughs> It's really hard to find a movie that's so like incredibly well filmed and two very memorable performances by Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix. With all that in mind, the movie still sucks. When the credits roll, you get this feeling like somebody said, hey, let me tell you a joke. And right before you, you think they get to the punchline, they say, that's it. The end, you know, it's cin- it's cinematic blue balls. Um, there's 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 no investment in any of the character in my mind. So when it's all said and done, you don't care about anyone. Thus, you don't care about the movie. Rami doesn't have a very big role, but he plays the son-in-law to Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, who is a firm believer in this oh. Scient- Scientology-esque based religion. Yeah. yeah, he's like L. Ron Hubbard of the the religion. Yeah, yeah. Now, as a part of this like founding family, he's completely dedicated to the cause, like in all caps, because that's what it's called. There's nothing spectacular about his acting, but I think the main takeaway is that Paul Thomas Anderson, who is widely viewed as one of the more underrated writers and directors today, cast him in this movie. Rami hadn't done anything huge of note to this point, but to get him in this kind of role... He would start definitely drawing a lot of recognition from a bunch of different directors and studios just from having Paul Thomas Anderson's name tied to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so really like verbal meme. I'm that guy sitting at the table drinking coffee with a sign that says the master is completely overrated. Change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautifully shot movie. It's the um, I think they said it was the first movie since Hamlet in 1996 to be filmed in 65 millimeter and projected in 70 millimeter so like the detail of the movie is insane from the technical side is that really talent or is just like i can film in this versus filming that it's just a choice it's yeah like what tarantino did for hateful eight yeah tarantino did for i don't i don't hate i don't hate tarantino but that was that was what he did when he filmed Lynn's long halftime walk (laughs) (laughs) 3d ptsd movie i understand the master it's a character study. It's not an exciting char- character study. Joaquin and Philip Seymour Hall are worth the price of admission at the very least because those two are just like insane people. They're just insane people who mm. act really well. Um, I mean, Philip from a technical standpoint and, and Joaquin from a uh, Daniel Day-Lewis method side, like they're just crazy people. And those two with Amy Adams just makes for a really good cast. But. No, no shit. If you, if you had said that this was the, uh, like the prequel to the Joker, I'd totally believe Correct. that. That would make sense. That would make, that would make more sense than anything. Like that would make this movie a lot better in my mind. Yeah. Because that is like the demise of this character that Joaquin plays. But Otherwise, he's just this depraved guy who fucks sandcastles 
and drinks torpedo <laughs> and drinks torpedo propellant. And I'm, suppo- <laughs> and I'm supposed to care about this guy. And I just don't. And, and, and Philip Seymour Hoffman's this fucking con artist. And he's the only person who like sees Joaquin Phoenix as being this guy who is like, he's the only person who can actually, who's like an idiot enough to believe this stuff. And I, I can put everything, if I can change him, then I can change anybody. And because Joaquin Phoenix is just a normal person and what Philip Seymour Hoffman is doing is absolute bullshit, nothing happens. And so, like, why the fuck am I supposed to care about the movie? <laughs> yeah. I, I only saw The Master once, but I think my beef with it, with it was that it, it, it focused too much. I, I get it because he is the main character, but I think it focused too much on Joaquin Phoenix and not enough on... It on, was his um, journey. I mean, that's, that's yeah, the story. That right. And I, I think I, w- I would have rather had it be show the uprising of Philip Seymour Hoffman, L. Ron Hubbard, whatever you want to call him. Because I think that is so fascinating how this guy, you know, became Command, what he is. Commanded that presence. Right. Instead people. of, yeah, I, I think it would have been a better movie if it had been about that. But, um, you know, it's easier to make up somebody out of thin air ra- rather than do a biography on somebody. My favorite scene in The Master is when Dana Carvey dresses as a turtle. And he goes, turtle, turtle. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's oh my god! <laughs> Keep at it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you, are you trying to kill Warren? Is that what you're trying to do right now? Uh, that was great. Uh, James was great. sitting on that one for a long time. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, I did not see that coming at all. <laughs> you know what his name? Is? You know what his name was in that movie? His name no. was Pistachio. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! His name was God. Pistachio Disguise. <laughs> Oh, you're telling. Oh, my fuck. All right. All right. 2012 to 2013, uh, he was in the Twilight Saga. He made his debut in the Twilight World in Breaking Dawn Part 2. He played a character named Benjamin. And then in 2013, he was in a movie called Ain't Them Bodies Saints. He played a character named Will. I've never seen it, but I've heard really good things about it. And that takes us to 2013, and we we hit his highest critic score. And that's Short Term 12, and Rigby has this one. The most memorable performance was not Remy Malik. It was not Brie Olsen. It was Keith Stanfield. Mm-hmm. Yes. This movie is sort of known now as an introduction to what was to come, you know, in later years with all of these, with Brie Larson, with Rami Malik, with Lakeith Stanfield. These guys are all stars now. Mm-hmm. Um, but back in 2013, they, I mean, this was Brie Larson's first leading role. So it was kind of a look into what was to come in Hollywood, you know, six or seven years down the road. Caitlin Deaver was in it too. Caitlin Deaver too. And she, mm-hmm. so the best two performances are Lakeith Stanfield and Caitlin Deaver. And the movie is based on these supervisors for foster kids. And Lakeith Stanfield and Caitlin Deaver play foster kids in the movie. Brie Larson is the lead supervisor along with John Gallagher Jr., who is her boyfriend and also a supervisor as well. Kills it. And yeah, he's great in it too. Both of them are really good. Um, Rami Malik, you know, I, I was kind of disappointed that he didn't really have a big role in this. He doesn't really do a lot except for be the naive. So he's the new supervisor who's introduced to the movie. Um, the movie starts with John Gallagher Jr.'s character explaining like the process and telling jokes and stuff, just basically introducing him, just basically introducing Nate, who's played by Rami Malik, to the role. 
I kind of wish he had a bigger role in it, but it's kind of minimal. Um, other than just sort of following orders and trying to interact with the kids and stuff, he's kind of he's kind of light. Um, if I'm being honest, mm-hmm. um, the Brie Larson and Lakeith Stanfield are the two sort of performances that I think you take away from the movie the most. The acting performances are great, um, and again, I think there's something to be said. I think Caitlin Deaver was probably like 15 or 16 when this movie. Um, was filmed and she plays somebody about that age. And I think Lakeith Stanfield was probably a little older, but he plays somebody who was turning 18. But like I said, it was a look into the lens of what was to come. Um, and they, they're really the talent of these um, five or six actors in this movie and how they would all be kind of come household names um, a few years down the road. Um, you know, I don't really think the plot is really worth getting into just because um it's it's a movie about foster kids and their um their experience with the supervisors and you know there's some depression there's some suicide there's some drug use um there's some people trying to escape i mean it's sort of you you think it's it sounds kind of kind of cliche but i think because it is so realistic and so raw mm-hmm. that that's why the movie did so well um in the reviews um i think it's got a 98 on rotten tomatoes which yeah, is it's pretty about high. as high as it gets yeah, I read an article yesterday, you know, because in 2019, Brie Larson, that's when um, Captain Marvel came out. And that's also when Rami Malek won his best actor. So it was like, it was kind of a look back now that this, now that these two are some of the biggest actors in Hollywood, let's look back at this indie movie that was made six years ago. Um, and so, you know, I would imagine after those two had the year they did in 2019, that a lot of people sort of went back on, on this movie and checked it out and were probably pretty impressed with it and saw it as, as a, as a, uh, a sign of things to come. They redid the cover, which is why I thought he had a much bigger part in the movie. Oh yeah. He really doesn't. The original cover was them chasing Sammy. It was Brie Larson. In the beginning. Sammy. In the beginning? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was chasing. Well, it was him with the American flag. So at the very end, that scene, oh, the very end. At him. right, right, right. But, yeah. but they redid it. And so it looks like, it honestly looks like one of those movies where it's like, he's just not that into you where it shows like all the characters like around the, <laughs> the border of the movie, but it shows Brie Larson and Rami Malek. And this is Academy Award winner, Academy Award winner. Oh wow. And then That's, Lakeith Stanfield and James Gallagher. And then, uh, Beatrice from, uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It, it was a selling point at that point. They For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Movie. That's why, that's why I thought he was going to have this huge role. His character plays a really important role. It's just not necessarily a huge role in terms of right. screen time. Yeah. Right. Other than getting spit on by Kaylin Devery, like, is there more? And that's funny too because I guess well, I guess that scene where where she he does the rap. His role is really a plot narrative in that it's it's to they use him as a way to show you how it works. Right. right? So they needed him He's, to kind of be like the naive. Right. Uh, I have no clue what's going on, and then I get spit on. I'm excited to work with underprivileged children, and then like Keith Stanfield goes like, "What the fuck did you just say?" <laughs> He's like, "No, I, I didn't. I didn't mean underprivileged." He was like, "What do you mean by underprivileged?" Yep. It's like I was left here by my parents. How does it make me underprivileged? And that's, I mean, completely true. And I think that's some. It definitely brings to light something that I think we just generally throw out as like a blanket statement. And so, like. I fucking love this movie. I really did. Sure, yeah, I was, good, I right? was, I was blown away by like all the acting in it. Brie Larson. This is the best acting she's done. I, I that, never watched. That I, room. I, I did. I didn't. I did not watch Room. It's heavy. I'll give you that. But I think she killed it. I thought the chemistry between her and Caitlin Devery was the best part of the movie. 
chases her ass down outside her yeah the house yep and the whole thing about Caitlin Devery's dad and Brie Larson um that's yeah it was it was good part of the reason people gravitate to the movie because yes it is about the kids in this facility but it's really more about John Gallagher and Brie Larson's characters and how much of themselves they sacrifice for mm-hmm. these kids and how they they kind of give up their mental health and their financial health in a lot of ways to do it. Yeah. I think a lot of people can relate to that that work in the nonprofit space and work in that on that side. I was really surprised by the movie. I I, you, I know Kyle, you said like you guys got to watch this movie, and so I was like, oh man, here comes a, a fucking shit bomb. <laughs> but I, I I really really enjoy. See, I'm not always wrong. It's a Not good it's always. a it's a good indie film. 2013 before we hit the Bomberoo that is his lowest critic score. We see uh, Spike Lee's a remake of Old Boy um, and he plays a character named Browning in 2013. So uh, the original Old Boy came out in 2005 so it's weird that they did a remake of it not that long after it. Uh, the original Old Boy rocks. It's it awesome. So good. But because my rule of thumb, everyone said this movie sucked, I refused to ruin the original and never saw this remake. <laughs> You're the reason it lost almost $25 million, James. Damn, that's bad. <laughs> well, I think they were probably hoping after the success of the first one internationally that this would sell and uh, this Spike Lee joint just didn't land. Which, speaking of films that didn't land, Need for Speed 2014, Ooh. lowest critics case. What do you got for us? First of all, I had a hard time finding this movie. Um, I had to record it off of sci-fi on YouTube TV. And I believe it was airing at like 4.30 in the morning on a Tuesday. So I, I knew that I was going to be in for quite the viewing. <laughs> As I read it, I was, I was so optimistically looking forward to this movie because in my head, as I was reading all the reviews... It's it sounded like Gone in sixty seconds meets Cannonball Run, and the movie definitely did not turn out that way. <laughs> Need for Speed is the the uh, film adaptation of the video game series. It was written by brothers George and John Gatlins. The story centers on Toby Marshall, who's played by Aaron Paul. Long story short, Aaron Paul is wrongfully accused in the accidental death of a young member of his team named Petey. Fast forward. Toby, again played by Aaron Paul, is uh, released on parole, and he's set to avenge Petey's death. And, and they don't really explain. I'm not sure if he's trying to avenge his death by somehow getting Dino framed or, or, or you know, made everybody aware that Dino actually killed Petey, or if he's somehow avenging his death by winning this winner-takes-all race. One of the best parts of the movie, the race is organized by the mysterious monarch who's played by Michael Keaton. Ooh. <laughs> Somehow Michael Keaton is like narrating this race. He's like a he's kind of like a play-by-play guy on a video podcast and he he knows everything going on with with Toby and how he's driving across country in time to get to uh, San Francisco to race in this in this winner take all race. His character, it, it, it's, it's pretty entertaining when he's on, even though you're like, how the hell is this even a thing? Throughout the movie, Toby's gang helps him get to the race. His gang is actually highlighted by, by Rami Malek. That's where he comes into the story, who plays Finn, who is the crew's computer expert. Malik has a pretty limited to- amount of time in the movie um, focused on him. There's really two scenes that Malik stands out. One, 
he quits his job because he finds out Toby is out of jail and they're they're racing across country and the team needs his help. He quits his job and he, he basically is walking out of the office and it's like a five minute scene and he strips down naked except his socks. He's walking out and he uh, Ramon Rodriguez, he comes out to pick him up and he goes, why are you naked? And he goes, because I had to quit my job. And he's like, you couldn't have quit it in a different way. And he's like, well, I wanted to make sure I, I wouldn't go back. And he's like, again, you couldn't have done that in a different way. That's how Kyle quit. <laughs> <laughs> with dignity. Yeah. There you go, with dignity. And then the other scene that's actually really cool, they're driving down the interstate 70 miles an hour. Him and another guy pull up to the, the race car that Aaron Paul's driving, and they fuel it up while it's going. Mm-hmm. And Malik climbs onto the roof, climbs onto the side of the car, and gets gets it filled up. And it's really cool because he was actually doing a lot of his own stunts in that movie. That was pretty cool. Movies directed by Scott Waugh. Remy Malik in an interview said he was really excited about that because Scott Waugh, was, he's a renowned stuntman. In a, one of Remy's television appearances, Scott Waugh was his stunt double. Here are the only redeeming qualities of this movie. Very interesting filming style because the director, like I said, was a stuntman. So he yeah. brought a whole different perspective. I enjoyed the fact that the actors did a lot of their own stunts. Now, there were 77 stunt performers credited on this movie. Now, it sounds like a lot, right? But compared to this, Gone in 60 Seconds, which came out several years before, had 112. Furious 7, which came out about the same time, had 206 stuntmen and a 1,300 visual effect credits. I thought that was crazy. And then I'll just sum it up with this. I found this review on jordanandeddy.com. Recommending Need for Speed would be like recommending to someone that they should drink Coke every day. It might taste good, but it certainly isn't good for them. Need for Speed has no illusions of what it is, even if may have wanted to be some type of rival to the Furious series. And I thought that was a pretty good review to sum it up. 2014 to 2017, he's in another Spike Lee joint. He's in The Sweet Blood of Jesus. He plays a character named Seneschal Higginbotham, essentially a um, a butler uh, caretaker type. He gets murdered by the main uh, female character in the movie. Um, spoiler. Spoiler. Um, but other than that, he's you know it's it's pretty minimal what he's asked to do in that role. Uh, we see the the third entry into the Night at the Museum universe and Secret of the Tomb in 2014. And then we run into what is probably his most famous role up to this point in his career. I mean, it's, I guess it's debatable with the one we're going to talk about here in a little bit. But his work on Mr. Robot as Elliot Alderson from 2015 to 2018, Emmy Award winning. So because of this podcast, I finally gave in and decided to watch Mr. Robot. A couple people had told me it's an awesome show. Um, and I figure what better time than now and can confirm awesome show and Rami Malek's great in it and I totally understand the hype it made me respect him more as an actor after watching it I, I couldn't agree more James I, I watched I watched three seasons in the in a week and he he could not be more perfectly cast for this role I know the director they went through like literally I think he said like over a thousand people for this role they auditioned a ton of people for and, it. And they landed on him. And you could not find a more perfect person for this role. Like, he has to play a character that's almost like tweaked out of his mind yep. at the time. And he's got this inner dialogue which drives the entire show. He's got this calm, cool about him. Then he can go off at a moment's notice. And 
like I, I'm with you. I, I got through three seasons. I just got the fourth, but didn't get to get didn't get to start it. So I'm definitely gonna finish that here pretty shortly. And uh, I, I can't wait. Like I, I I was very skeptical, and I think this is probably the show that turned me on to uh, Rami is like a force. Agreed. What I find interesting about him, he plays like a tweaker that breaks the fourth wall and is like a unreliable narrator. And it's just yeah. so fascinating the whole time. And he does it so well. Part, part of it is like he does, he plays dark roles well and mm-hmm. he queerly can pull off the high strung look with, you know, like his eyes and whatnot. And it just, he, he really kills the role. It's like an unreliable narrator. I, I tried to like multitask in the middle of an episode and like halfway through, I was like, I got to start this over. I have no fucking clue where I am, I'm at. <laughs> and that that's exactly like, I mean, I, I'm just, I was really blown with him and him and Christian Slater in this show are so good together. And like yep. the smaller roles, Portia Doubleday does a really good job. Mm-hmm. And uh, Grace Gummer as uh, uh, the FBI agent. Awesome. Yep. Like all of them playing with each other. It's it's a it's a, a great, great show. I really enjoy it. And we'll pause for a little uh personal life uh conversation. He once dated Portia Doubleday, former former love interest of Rami Malik, and not entirely sure what wrong what went wrong there, but they're no longer together. She he's now with Lucy Boynton. Another person he worked with, so mm-hmm. looks like there's a trend. Yeah, yeah, he seems to uh, fall in love on set. Seems to be the theme here. Did he meet Christian Slater's sister on set? I don't know where that happened. No, but... no, they went. They went to high school together. Oh, there you go. Well, yeah, you know, on set of uh, their high school. Um, <laughs> Could have been a high school play. I mean, he was. Yeah, in, he was. He was in set. theater. Yeah. He was in theater from 2002 to 2007. So we we didn't do that kind of research, but there's there's a good chance we got that's very true. We, normally, we don't talk about video games on this podcast, but. Uh, he lent his face, his voice, to a video game until dawn in 2015 as a character named Josh. And I know James, you you were crushing that today. I bought this game when it first came out because it had such high reviews, and I was looking to get like a role playing game. And I played it for tw- so the the plot of it is awesome. It's like a classic horror movie where you're in a cabin in the woods with your friends, and you have all these like high school slash college stereotypes where there's the jock and the cheerleader and the nerd and you have to try to get them to survive until dawn hence the name and there's someone out there who's trying to kill them you can make it so all the characters make it to the end or you can screw up where all the characters die but as a character dies there's no going back so the story has to continue with you know nine characters then eight characters so on so forth and I played the game when it first came out for 20 minutes, killed two characters almost instantaneously, got so scared, <laughs> never played it again. I was like, nah, I'm just going to throw it. Like, you know what? I tried, but it makes me too nervous. And then when I realized he's the main character in the game, I was like, all right, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to play. I didn't realize it was Rami Malek, so, um, so I'll give it a shot. Absolutely awesome. The game is fantastic. Uh, he didn't make it to the end. I mistakenly killed him, uh, but couldn't uh, suggest the game enough. And it's so old at this point that you can get it for like 15, 10 bucks if you wanted to right now on PlayStation. But it was great. And he plays another guy, dark and disturbed and mm-hmm. super complex and super intense. And it was really good. 
what I think it's important about these particular roles, even if it's a video game, is after Mr. Robot, the opportunities for him as a lead actor just exploded. Mm-hmm. They opened up like crazy because Mr. Robot was such a game changer for his career. So he becomes main character in a, a video game. Um, and we're going to talk about a bunch of leading roles here, one after another. So uh, before we go any further, uh, we're going to hit 2017. And that's this is going to be our Munson's Choice. So, you know, if you're a first-time listener, we hit the main five categories. Our guest, Munson, is allowed to pick a different movie of their choice. And in this case, John Bell picked Papillon. John, tell us a little bit about it. Papillon um, in French is Butterfly, and it's based off an autobiography, Papillon, and also Banco, uh, written by a Frenchman who was in the story. He was framed for allegedly by the people who he was stealing jewelry. This uh, main character, Papillon, or Poppy, safecracker. He is sent to this notorious prison work camp, French colony expansion. He is told on his way there get about france and uh france has forgotten about you he gets to this work camp and uh, he knows that he has to survive and also try to find a way to escape and he meets uh someone named dega and dega is a wealthy man convicted of forging financial documents so poppy believes this guy dega is his way out dega is played by uh rami in the movie and he has the one of the lead roles Poppy attempts to escape and fails. He is captured, sentenced to two years in solitary confinement. Rami's character, Dega, is providing him uh, coconuts throughout the movie while he's in confinement to help with his nourishment. And uh, Poppy does not reveal that that is who is giving him the coconuts. And he kind of keeps that relationship and that bond together. When he's released from solitary confinement, he reunites with Dega, who has since um, been working in a privileged role with Jordan, and he has access to keys. So they forge an escape together, and they are successful until they uh, are captured at a Colombian convent, uh, which is an interesting place where they end up. <laughs> and then they are taken back to the work camp, and Poppy is given five years solitary confinement. After the five years, they end up at uh, Devil's Island, where Poppy is again reunited with Dega. And Dega is a very different kind of person who has been at Devil's Island for several years now. And they forge a final escape plan. The movie is very long. <laughs> On the final escape plan, I don't know if we're doing spoilers completely, but Poppy ends up jumping into the ocean and seeking his freedom on his way back to France. He was forget about France. He never forgot about it. And um, at the very end, the credits remind you that it's based off a true story uh but even with that lies some of the controversy because later on there were a lot of discrepancies that were alleged so that maybe not everything was his story but i think the movie at the end kind of did an interesting way of acknowledging that when they show poppy as an older man and he's releasing these documents and these to a publisher and they ask if this is all yours and he says it's the story of many men so whether or not it was all him not based off the many stories who went to this notorious work camp and that's kind of the basis of the entire uh, story and plot for for these guys freedom is definitely one of the one of the primary themes of the entire movie i did find myself wanting to, to see what happened how were they going to 
manage the escape and I like the kind of mystery of it. At the same time, it, the movie seemed to jump from crime to escape to maybe there's a love interest mm -hmm. to adventure to mm -hmm. finding oneself to drama. And that as a viewer, that was hard, difficult and challenging for me to keep track of all those different themes and where they could go and, and what the director was trying to do. So uh, the first part of it kind of dragged for me. But once you get into that second half, it was very entertaining to see kind of w what the next step for these men were. I think they could have played a lot more to the, like when Degas and Poppy first meet, they, mm -hmm. he was like, Hey, I'm going to help you out. He was like, Oh, so like the scorpion and the toad, yeah. <laughs> which is exactly what this entire thing is. Like that's in mm -hmm. your nature. You're going to escape. If they kept coming back to that, that would have been great. But I'd heard of this movie and I was like, why do I know this movie? Of course, I find out it's a remake and, yep. you know, yep. it's Steve McQueen and Dustin Hoffman. And then I started mm -hmm. thinking about that and like this quote came up in my mind is what what would have happened in The Great Escape if Steve McQueen and them dudes had turned tail and ran? <laughs> well, that's what that movie was about. They were escaping. They ran away. That was yep. from Tropic Thunder. But mm -hmm. you know <laughs> the, the fact the fact that Poppy this this version of Papillon like didn't make five mil, but the original made fourteen times right. that right back in like the seventies. You know, there there's so much stuff that I really could have got out of this, but I, like I fully believe that Rami playing Degas in this movie, like I I felt he, that he did like, well, he did really well. Yeah, exactly. I felt him being the kind of character that Dustin Hoffman definitely would have played in this. But where I think Rami as an actor shines is when his character is in its most distressful positions. Mm -hmm. Think about the time when he's working, and this is a small guy who has a lot of money, he's not really done a lot of hard labor, thrown into that hard labor, and he's you know, he can't really compose himself. I think the acting for Rami comes out, as well as the acting when Poppy is in solitary confinement. And it's this hallucination scene where Rami is then have to play a, a mime. And you're like, what's yeah, going on? Yeah. And then when you think about the end, Rami and Dega is almost a completely different person. Thumping his chest, on screaming. Ceilings, and his hair is all disheveled. And I think it shows that development of that person that, at the beginning, when you meet Dega, I thought Rami was a little flat. But as the yeah. as an actor and as the movie mm -hmm. progresses and as the character progresses, halfway through in the fight scene, that's the first time he starts to gain his voice and he starts to fight back, even though he's kind of like this little squirmy guy and they kind of take care of him right there and there. All the way up until the end where he makes that decision to stay behind on the island and not make final job that kind of fits his just character in general like as as an actor he's he's very into character acting work and so i would imagine a lot of the beginning of his roles it's just not as good as the heart of it because he really gets invested in it and yeah like you said at the very end i thought when when poppy jumps off the cliff and they're yelling back and forth yeah. at each other and he's just sitting there, like thumping his chest and screaming. I was like, I was like, granted, it's like a really easy thing to do, but I was like, I buy that. Yeah, mm -hmm. like I, I buy he like threw his he, all he toughened into up that moment. Through that, yeah, through that process. yeah, exactly. All right, so we've got one more performance to hit, but before we do that, we got a few projects between 2017 and 20, 
2017, he's he plays the lead in a movie called Buster's Male Heart. He plays Buster. I'm going to mention a few things because I know before I toss this to some of the other guys on the on the podcast, I'll say this: number one, this movie is a mind fuck. Yep. Um, if you are looking for a movie that is a mind fuck, go watch Buster's Male Heart on Netflix. It's readily available. I will say this probably my favorite performance from Rami just because of the complexity of the role and the insane batshit nature of the movie. With Buster Mal's heart though is when I was watching, I was so confused and I would gladly admit that I love thrillers and I love dark thrillers and I love having to think outside the box, but I also admit when I truly don't get it and have no idea what's going <laughs> on. And, that, and that's what happened here is I didn't, I was like, wait, all right, hold on. Wait, all right. So what happened first? Yeah. Wait, 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 which person is he? Is, who? That's what? Not a boat? That, like, that's how I felt on? the whole. Exactly. That's how I felt the whole. I mean, so it didn't click with me as much as some of his other roles, but I totally can understand uh, how his acting style kind of fit well with this because the character is super dark and going through a lot of issues and uh, multiple timelines. But it just it just wasn't for me. And he's asked to do a lot. Mm-hmm. He's, he's asked to serve in a lot of different roles because a lot of it it's. Uh, I saw a whole like YouTube thing on this guy postulating how the timelines work and what's happened before this other part where things diverge. And I just enjoyed the, the legend behind the movie from the kind of the conspiracy theories as to what the fuck actually happened. I'm really upset. I didn't watch this one. I'm sure I'd have something stupid to say, but (laughs) it's okay. (laughs) Scope it out and then text us and let us know your thoughts on what the fuck actually happened. The affirmation Bojack Horseman. He plays a character in season five called Flip McVicker. It's kind of like a disgruntled writer. I actually just feel it's it's very different from the roles that he plays in most of his other movies. It's about him. Mm-hmm. It's a very kind of like all of his other roles is just like I'm just I just want to be a character in the background. Like I don't mm-hmm. want this attention and his role in uh, Bojack is very much like me 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 me. So it's very unique. I agree. And 2018 comes, you've all been waiting for, if you're listening. And that's usually the movie role that people think of for when they think of Rami Malik. And that's his largest audience gap. So a movie where audiences find a little bit more appreciation than critics. And that's Bohemian Rhapsody. James is going to take us down that path. When I was given this assignment, I'd already heard a lot of negative things about Bohemian Rhapsody. And so. As Warren discussed, like hype, both in a positive way or in a negative way, can it also drastically affects my opinion as well. Like if someone tells me a movie sucks, I have such low expectations for it that when I go in and see it and it doesn't completely suck, I'm like, I don't know why they said that. Mm-hmm. Um, and with <laughs> with this movie, I want to kind of instead of going through like the plot and my thoughts there, what I would say is there's two different movies here. One of those movies is, the first movie is for people who don't know anything about Queen, like myself. All I knew about Queen was a ton of hits that I loved listening to growing up, um, like, to get pumped for, like, peewee football. And their lead singer was, like, the alpha of all frontmen, and he died from complications of HIV. And that's literally all I knew about. And so when I watched this movie, I was like, all right, everyone tells me this movie sucks. And then I watched it, I was like, no, dude, this is fun. Like, this is just a fun movie. Like, it's a little formulaic, but, like, mm-hmm. Rami is fully committed to his role, and, like, the music's amazing. I was like, I don't know, it's just an enjoyable movie. And then I researched the movie and why it was getting such negative reviews, and that's what I want to discuss with you guys. 
And then I realized that the second version of this movie is for fans who know Queen's story and are fans of Queen. And the reason they hated this movie is because this movie is just simply untrue. And that was what I didn't realize. I was like, oh, well, if I was a fan, I'd also be upset. But I'm not a fan. And so this movie was fun. And it was just like lighthearted, good story that like about a unique guy. Um, and so I'd rather just kind of get your opinions on the movie since you guys seem to know a little bit more than I did. I would say my beef with it really is like, I, I do enjoy Queen like you, James. My favorite song from them by far, probably top 10 song is It's Late. Fantastic song. Go listen to it if you don't know the song. But I understand like the story. Rami Malek's playing Freddie Mercury. He comes from this family, does all this stuff and all, you know, and, and his dying of complications uh, from, from HIV. And it was more of just how the movie was put together that bothers me more than anything. The movie won an Oscar best, what, film editing? Editing. Yeah. They won four Oscars, editing, but that yeah. one is offensive. There is a goddamn scene when they're sitting outside talking about <laughs> stuff, and it's just two they jackasses on two different cameras, and they're like, all right, cut to one, cut to it's two. A, it's a cut, cut to every one, second. Cut it's to two, cut to one, two, one, two, one, two. And yeah, it, it is so bad that that like that one scene. I think for me, the fact that I don't like it was because I watched it after it won all the Oscars, and I was like, "Oh man!" And then I I just I just seen like Rocket Man, and the fact that Rocket Man the the reason Rocket Man didn't win anything was because it came out in February, and this other one comes out in November. Like that's absolute bullshit. Rocket Man, in my opinion, far and away. A hundred times better than yeah. than Bohemian Rhapsody. I would totally agree. Taron Taron Egerton singing all that stuff, mm-hmm. incredible. Well, and keep in mind too, the year that it was nominated was the same year where Bradley Cooper did most of the writing and singing for uh, A Star Is Born. And mm-hmm. yeah, but that was it, the fifth it, time it, that movie had been done. So who the fuck yeah. cares? Yeah. True. And it was still, it was still a good movie. I still enjoyed that movie. I really did. I don't I don't really care for biographical movies because everybody goes in with this frame of reference saying mm-hmm. this is what this role has to be. Sure. And if that role in, in their mind, what they know of that person, if it reaches it, they're like, oh, my God, that was the best movie ever. You can never be better than the person who actually did it. And so to say, like, to have a I think I think biographical movies should almost be their their own like Oscar category. Yeah, biopics, so that way we don't yeah. keep giving Oscars to yeah. Um, what's her face that did Judy Garland last year? Renee. Renee. Yeah, yeah, Renee. It's like the movie wasn't very good, but obviously she just went all in on the role. The, my issues with the movie is not Remy. Remy's good. Remy is very good, and I think he's well deserving of his Oscar for that first time nominee, first time win. Got to give him credit there. My issues um, are are just more so the legend behind it and who wrote it. You can tell it's the band no question. who wanted a part wanted a particular no narrative push forward. And there's a line at one point halfway through the movie when they're having their first choral and the band's like, "You could." Uh, there's no queen without us. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you motherfuckers went on your way to put that right in the script so that the world knew, Brian May, yeah. that you know you guys are important when clearly this guy is the genius who is the cog in the wheel. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, um, and I think I've mentioned this before, it's just like a watered-down product. When you compare it to Rocket Man and how 
more vivid mm-hmm. it is with, in terms of these two individuals and their personal stories, they watered it down so they could get into the Chinese markets. And the Chinese markets won't allow like explicit LGBT stuff in their in their yeah. so they they allude to a lot in the movie. But they and I'm not asking for like fucking hardcore shit, you know what I mean? But yeah. like, give me more of a gritty character study of what's going on with mm-hmm. this guy. If it's gonna be about Freddie Mercury and not a Queen biopic, which and that's also my problem. I think they're trying to bridge both sides. They're trying to make it about Queen, but also highlight Freddie. Like, pick one or the other. Go all in on Queen yeah. or go all in on Freddie. I was going to say that too, Kyle. I feel like they they really phoned the movie in because like half the movie is about the Live Aid concert too. and it's Which like, is awesome. It's awesome, but it's like that's half the movie, you know? So it's either like you're either going to make a movie about just but that they, or – But they made up or all get, that shit about when he came out too. He yeah. came out well right. after Live Aid. And they just had him right. come out before. He didn't announce yeah. that he was HIV positive until the day before he actually passed away, which was like seven years after the Live Aid concert. So like when I was doing research afterwards, I was like, whoa, none of those last like six years of the movie actually happened the way they described yeah. it. Like the band didn't break up so he could do solo projects. They stayed together that whole time. Yeah in between those two years before Live Aid and like he released solo projects, but so did other members of the band while they were still touring and still together and still queen. Mm-hmm. One of the, I for me, one of my favorite scenes. And I think one of the most real, even if it may have not been accurate because Freddie was so private, we don't know. Freddie was so private with his, his life um, was the scene where he's in the hospital going to get treatment. And he walks by mm-hmm. a patient who is visibly, has and is obviously suffering from HIV AIDS and the the patient lets out a A-O. Yeah. And Freddie oh, just yeah, sits there and responds back, AO. And Yeah, that was that was powerful. Freddie was so loud with everything about his life, but you can in the movie I could get a sense that he was struggling internally. And I think that also goes back to the wonderful performance of Rami and the Oscar worthy yeah. And I remember sitting in the theater thinking Rami is going to win the Oscar. Just as I predicted, Renee Zellweger. (laughs) (laughs) Two for two, baby. (laughs) You know, just the sheer amount of all in itness that Rami put into performance. The movement coaches, the vocal Uh coaches. And you learn the the, piano for it, too. The the amount that he wore a wig the whole time. I mean, it's not even really here. We already asked that everything that he put into this, the amount of people into it, is definitely a career-defining experience. I think it launched. I mean, you're going to see so many biopics of music, like music biopics, coming out now. You kind of had it with like Straight Outta Compton and and Get On Up, but like now, ever since the success of Bohemian Rhapsody, which which kind of outdid expectations. I mean, you're going to see you have you had Rocket Man, you have the Elvis one coming out. Yeah. I mean, who knows what else is down the pike? A lot. That's I feel like that's a huge. That's a huge genre that you're going to see in the next like five to ten years. I can't wait for Paul Walter Hauser to play the Jack Black biopic at some point in time. It's going to be great. <laughs> I love Paul Walter. Straight <laughs> <laughs> out of Compton fucking rocked. It was awesome. To round out Rami's career between 2018 and now, he was he was part of, again, we don't usually mention podcasts on the podcast, but he was part of a, a podcast called Blackout, an eight-part podcast Um in 2018, which is pretty interesting. And then in 2020, he was in the remake Doolittle with Robert Downey Jr. He played character Chi Chi, who is the uh, 
the gorilla who's really scared and has a redemption arc to get some bravery. He's like the, the cowardly lion, but in a gorilla format for the story. Before they give the uh, um, the dragon, they take something out of the dragon's butt at the end. That's That's the end of the movie. Spoiler alert. But that brings us to the end of his career. If you're a first-time listener to the way this works, rank each actor on a scale of 0 to 100. Each one of the models will get a chance to evaluate. We evaluate on a, a few things. We look at their longevity as an actor. We examine their pop culture impact. How recognizable are they as a name in the acting world? Uh, we evaluate their range as an actor, their awards footprint. If they have any other talents to direct, dance, produce, write, whatever those things happen to be. Um, their personal life, whether they're a great human, a Gandhi... Mother Teresa type or just an absolutely terrible human. And then we also look at their comedy chops. Of the list, I'm going to go first. When I look at Rami, I think there's something to be said to the fact that he won an Emmy on his first nomination, an Oscar on his first nomination. For as young mm-hmm. as he is and only 16 years in the game, that's pretty impressive. The more I watched his work, the more I appreciated him as an actor, especially when I watched Mr. Robot, Buster's Male Heart, Papillon, like a lot of the later stuff that he's put out. I'm pretty impressed with him as a lead, especially because a lot of his early career was him as a supporting actor in a lot of ways. I like that he's not a huge fan of social media. He's kind of, he's not a very sensational type of person. He became an AIDS ambassador after working bohemian rhapsody which i appreciated and the the part i think that i think is the coolest is you know he went to school in a small school and well, i guess it was not small school but he went to a like a smaller school in southern indiana dealt with a bunch of student debt like a normal person he was working a job as a delivering pizza he considered doing real estate the struggle's been real for him as a human and as an actor and i, I can appreciate that so with all that said i'm gonna give rami 74 james you're up like Kyle mentioned, he won all the awards, Golden Globes, Screen Actors Guild, Emmy, and an Oscar. Uh, probably doesn't have the name recognition yet that he deserves, but people now know of him because of Bohemian Rhapsody uh, and Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot rocked. I'm sorry I was late to the game on that, uh, but I am an absolute fan now, and I'm excited to continue watching it. Uh, he's the first actor of Egyptian heritage to win an Academy Award for Best Actor, so that definitely deserves some props there. He's lent his support to a ton of charities, uh, such as the ACLU, the Red, like uh, Kyle mentioned, which does HIV-AIDS uh, awareness and raises money uh, specifically in Africa. And then this last one, which is uh, for a cause called Epidermolosis bullosa, uh, which is effectively known as EB. Uh, that's a brutal disease that actually impacts less than 0.01% of the world. And one of those people that it affects is actually my cousin. It is the worst disease that no one's ever heard. And so when I read that Rami actually supports that, I was totally taken back because I never see that mentioned anywhere. You know, I've had my GoFundMe on my Twitter and on my Facebook page for like years now, pretty much ever since my cousin was born. And so to see that, I was like, oh, damn, this dude's going way up in my book. I don't care that he's young or new to the game or doesn't have the name recognition. And then when I learned more about him, we actually have the same birthday. So look at that. Ooh. I'm just going to continue there to give him go. more points. Yeah. <laughs> Could not be rooting for someone more than him. It's like Watanabe with me. I gave him the birthday bump. Exactly. So for that, I'm giving him an 80. Warren. Rami is one of those guys that I remember when I first heard about him. Yeah, I saw him and I was like, what What the hell is this guy doing? Um, yeah, it was just kind of that. I, it was definitely in the work. Like, who casts this bug-eyed like guy to be in this <laughs> role? <laughs> and I was like, this guy's not going to be around very long and all this stuff. But 
it honestly wasn't until I watched uh, Mr. Robot recently when I was abs- I was absolutely by his acting in the show. Like I was captured from from episode one. I love his acting in that show. And while I don't care for Bohe- for Bohemian Rhapsody, I I did enjoy him in the role. Um, do I wish he could have sang the songs? Sure, because anybody who could sing like Freddie Mercury deserves every <laughs> acting award and uh, you know Tony award. Ever. But uh, no one can do that. No one can hit that four octave scale like he can. Sorry, Adam Lambert, you can't do it either. And uh, <laughs> he is the one character, the one actor that we've done so far that I am the most excited about for the future. I yep. I can I cannot wait now to see him in the new Bond movie. The yep. villain. Yeah, I wish we would have been like, able to see that before we rated him. Exactly. Like I'm fucking amped to see him as Safin in that role. I really think that he can bring this like um this creep like this creepiness to it, just like Javier, Javier Bardem. Bardem. You know, bring this mm-hmm. bring this like absolute just like eeriness to the role. Where people are just like almost afraid to talk afterwards because he's just so fucked up in the head. And I think he can bring that. Yeah. I would love to see him do things that are in kind of that, the comedic vein. I just don't think that's in his, in his lifeblood though. Like it's kind of like Jesse mm-hmm. Chastain. I don't think or, he has it. He, I mean, he, he does a good job at views, but he's still just kind of a little off. So I think he mm-hmm. could really be the closest thing that we have to the next level of, that uh, that Joaquin Phoenix, kind of that Daniel yep. Day Lewis in that vein, and so I wouldn't be surprised to see him in more Paul Thomas Andersons. Hopefully, they're better than the Master, but like I bet we could see him in more stuff. And but but believe it or not, like I'm actually going to give him pretty a pretty high score for me because I'm actually the most excited about how the future what the future holds for him. So I'm actually going to give him a 79. Oh, that is high. Wow. Warren likes he knows he. He doesn't want to have to adjust his score later, so he's already been like, no time to die. It's gonna be awesome. So, it's true. He, that that true. that is seventy nine is tied for my highest score. It's true. All right, John Bell. I loved reviewing Rami's work and going back and watching the movies. I think it all starts back to one of his main roles back there in the mid two thousands with the War at Home, where he portrays a very positive portrayal on TV of a closeted young man in the mid 2000s. That's a very important role back then as it is now. And I think that set him up very well for actor ability to be funny and to be serious at the same time, which as we see in his movie, he plays many of those roles from Roland the Master to Buster's Mal Hart to all the way to Bohemian Rhapsody. So uh, I love his acting ability. The thing for me with Rami is the deep voice. It's almost like all of his movies, he still carries this very deep voice that is going to be maybe one of his signatures as as he continues in his acting. I don't think we've seen the best from him yet. Bo Rap was amazing. He deserved the Oscar. I think he's going to have more of those performances. I cannot wait for No Time to Die. I... I'm giving him a 75. The only reason I'm not giving him higher is because I think he has more to give us. So I don't want to overshoot it yet. We appreciate that. That's a good score. Rigby. You guys hit everything I want to say. Um, I'm also excited for No Time to Die. I read an article that 
the director said that of any villain that's ever played a villain in a Bond movie, he brings out the most emotion in James Bond. It's going to be a good dynamic, basically, between those two. And I agree. Like Javier Bardem's character in Skyfall, I think Rami Malek's going to be extremely creepy. Obviously, you know, he's got the, the awards chops with the Academy Award and the Emmy, both on his first nomination, which is very impressive. You know, I think the one thing about him is he hasn't, he just hasn't been around long enough for me to give him a longevity score that's that's up there with the other ones that I've given. He does earn points with his, you know, philanthropic background, his activist background as well. So I think he's also the first person that we review that's won a Best Actor award. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's, that's correct. So he gets he gets points for me there. So with all that being said, I'm going to give him a 78 as well. All right, Case, round us out. I don't know why, but when I was watching a lot of interviews with him, he struck me as a very young Johnny Depp. And I don't know why, but I just kept thinking and making that connection in my head. Is that a good thing? Well, that's kind of where I'm going with it. He seems very authentic when he when he's interviewed. And I think he's authentic in his roles. And, and he's kind of off and he, yeah. he hits home runs when he's playing that outsider and that dark and that misfit character. I mean, he nails that. But that's also, I think that's kind of, a lot of him, and I, and I think I think that's why he's so good in those roles because he may not be acting as much as we think he he is, and that's why I, I'm also excited to see him in that Bond role. Because I think that's a real high level acting role, but that that's also why I really liked him, and that's why I like this podcast. This has been a pleasant surprise for me because again, when you guys said his name, I had no clue who he was. I didn't even know that he was the guy in Bohemian Rhapsody that everybody was talking about. So it's fun to really get out and watch his movies. So I'm actually going to give him. One of my higher scores, which is a 74. Warren, what does that bring us with Rami Malek? That gives Rami Malek a 76.67, which is for fifth. Ooh. Ahead of Jaiman Hansu and behind uh, Ken Watanabe. I had a feeling before this thing started, I was looking at our rankings. I was like, I have a feeling he's going to fall right between Watanabe and uh, Pratt. Like somewhere in that ballpark, so... Let's rock and roll. All right, Warren, what do we got? What is he coming down the pike? Yeah, No Time to Die, uh, which who knows when that will actually come out. And then uh, The Little Things, uh, looking at 2021, it's a thriller. And that is starring uh, Rami Malek, Jared Leto, and Denzel Washington. Oh, that's a big-time cast, man. Creepy characters within uh, Leto and and, uh, Rami Malek, that's for sure. Exactly. But the the plot is two cops track down a serial killer, which is a tale as old as time. But who's going to be the serial killer? Are you going to put Leto in it, or are you going to do Rami Malek? It's uh, Denzel. I hope it's Denzel, yeah. Let's let's throw it for a bone here. Denzel's trying to do something. No, it's going to be the good guy. Actually, no, I can see both of them, actually, because they both play creeps. Like a lot of the other actors we've covered, when we see it on Twitter and on Instagram, we will uh, we'll put it out there for the world. Like we mentioned, our first episode was on DGL, and he's, I mean, he, he would, took a, a, some serious time off. He's pumping out three movies this year. 7,500 just came out. He's got uh, The Power Project coming up pretty soon, and there's another one later this year. So we will profile them as we see them. Okay, we've got five actors for consideration on our next episode. Um, those five actors that we pulled from our mega list of actors are Rebecca Hall, Jim Broadbent, Taraji P. Henson, Daniel Kaluuya, and Alfred Molina. Everyone, Alfred Molina, John included. Who do we like? What do we not like? Anyone but Jim Broadbent. <laughs> I retweet what Warren said. <laughs> Broadbent. Broadbent's yeah. an interesting dude, but I don't know a ton of his <laughs> Retweet, like, 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 like. Yeah. <laughs> 
Daniel Kalu is a talented young actor. I'd be interested to follow his stuff. I think Rebecca Hall is also stuff. a bit of a sleeper. She's in good stuff, and I like. I, I remember a lot of people really liked the town and aside from it being like the heat, but with uh, like nun masks, I don't really awesome. remember much. I love so the town. If I have to watch, if I have to watch that one again, I, I guess I won't be upset. She's also in the prestige. Yep. She's in Christine. Frost Nixon. Frost Nixon. Frost, Iron Man. Yep, Iron I guess Man. I'll have yeah. to do, I guess I'll have to do the least amount of research <laughs> for Rebecca Hall. So I'm, I'm all right with that. Taraji would be cool to get some comedy. Like coming off the Rami stuff, there wasn't a lot of comedy there. So Taraji, she's in a lot of funny roles. So I, I know we'd enjoy that one. As always, the wheel decides, my friend. <laughs> the wheel decides. And it's going to fucking be Jim Brunder. It's always what I don't want it to be. <laughs> it's always what Warren doesn't want. All right, John, it's been an absolute pleasure, brother. Hope you've enjoyed your time. Thank you, John. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, John. John. It was a lot of fun. Let's take a public vote. Do we uh, think John deserves a T-shirt? All in favor, say I, I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We don't have to do that. You're going to get a t-shirt. If we have one, if we have one available in this size, I'm fine with the, the U.S. Postal Service sending one to him. Uh, Hope you're an extra small, John. Hope you're an extra small. Um, Give him a tank top. That's two eyes and three abstain. Gained everybody. We've, we've got some, we've got some medium. <laughs> in the words of White Goodman in Dodgeball, Add three pounds to the women's locker room before you leave. <laughs> John, any yeah. plugs you want to put out there about your personal life, things that, you know, projects you're working on, anything like that? I was not prepared for that question. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Read the show notes, John. No, no, everybody definitely, you know, this is an important year. Uh, you have an important election coming up. So that is my plug. Make sure you register to vote. The 2020 election is coming up. And uh, I want to make sure that everyone voices we love that good you know, call we, john we appreciate that that's awesome you know we gotta it's nice bringing on guests who can be the political ones and we can just ride that middle road you know yeah that's 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 <laughs> great considering uh mark and i both have political yeah. science degrees but we we won't touch it <laughs> true um well john we we appreciate you brother it's been fun we will uh we will rendezvous back with the podcast on august 13th that's when the next one will drop as always you can find us on Twitter at Munson's Movies. You can catch us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Uh, please do interact with us on social media. Tell your friends, subscribe to us on podcast platforms so as future episodes hit, you can follow us. Any final thoughts from Munson? Oh, you poor little piggies! You can't even get your good cop, bad cop routine to work. Leave it to the pros, pros! All right, Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?